Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. We're here in temporary studios in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, actually over in Brookville, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. I'm going to be at the Brookside Baptist Church, Ken Keltner and all of his fine people, having a one-day prophecy conference. It'll begin at 9 a.m. in the morning, 10.15, then 5, and 6 in the evening for a prophecy Q&A and a teaching on Bible prophecy. What a time in our world's history today in order to be able to understand what's going on by looking at the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. We have our broadcast partners standing by. Sharam Hadian is going to join us. He comes from Iran. He was born there, converted to Christianity, now is a preacher of the Word of God. We're going to be talking about the Farrakhan July 4th speech that this man gave, Louis Farrakhan. We'll also be talking with Mike Gendron, who is telling us the Pope has a relationship with Islam that may not fit biblical understanding of the future. These are some of the conversations I'll have with my broadcast partners. So glad you could join us today. Well, folks, may I announce he has arrived back home. Our good buddy and broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman, in the southern part of France for so many, many months almost, but now back home in Jacksonville, Florida. How was the trip? Did you have a good, safe journey back? We're glad to have you back. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It was, uh, uh, as we always say after flying uh, on long flights, uneventful is good. That is absolutely correct. When it's uneventful, that is a pleasure to be on an airplane and traveling in any part of the world. Well, Ken, let's get down to business. There have been multiple attacks on Iran by some type of an unseen adversary. It has gotten their attention. What can you give us? Any details on what's going on? Is it the Iranians' fault, or is it somebody maybe like Israel attacking this state? Well, that's a very good question. The Iranians, of course, are pointing the fingers at Israel and the United States, and some Israeli sources have actually been, you know, off the record, lending credence to that. Here's what's happened. Over the past couple of weeks, there's been a series of apparently cyber attacks on significant Iranian nuclear and missile sites inside the country, as well as some civilian infrastructure. Now, these caused explosions. So this was not like the earlier Stuxnet attack that shut down uh, Iran's uranium enrichment program, the centrifuges. These actually caused explosions in the facilities and significant damage. The United States does not acknowledge offensive cyber attacks. Often, there's sort of Jewish sub rosa acknowledgement uh, that, uh, well, these things might have happened and we might have had something to do with it. Look, I think this was a continuation of Stuxnet, which is a cyber, a very sophisticated offensive cyber attack program to uh, keep Iran under wraps and to prevent them, as President Trump has said for since taking office, to prevent them from having a nuclear weapon. And at the same time, Iran working with Syria much closer than they have in the past, in fact, Iran vowing to help Syria have a better air defense system. And they put together an agreement for that. What can you update us on that event? Well, the um, Iranians and the Syrians signed an agreement this past week 
not just to upgrade Syria's air defense system. And you gotta you gotta wonder really why Iran would be doing that when Iran can't defend its own airspace. <laughs> you would think it would be up to Russia to help Syria with its S-400 missiles, which they have deployed on Syrian territory. Uh, the Iranians have also purchased those missiles, but they're not talking about deploying those to Syria. So the air defense part of this is a little bit uh, bizarre. But what's far more, to me, far more significant is that now you have an official pact between Iran and Syria calling for the ouster of all foreign forces from Syria, except those of Iran, because Iran is considered a strategic partner. So now this pact essentially cements what we know has been going on for the past six years, this strategic partnership between Iran and Syria. Now it is officially on paper and officially announced to all the world. You know, a very interesting treaty. We can't get away from Iran, it seems, in our conversation today, Ken. But there's been a very interesting treaty that is coming together between China and Iran, giving unprecedented privileges to China and to Iran itself. These two together does not sound good. Talk to us about it. Well, here we go. The kings of the East, Jimmy, are teaming up with the Iranians in a 25-year strategic pact. Now, you and I have talked about this as something that's going on underneath the surface for some time. We've seen this growing relationship between Russia and Iran, between China and Iran, and between the three countries together, Russia, China, and Iran. But now, with the unveiling of this 25-year agreement, an absolutely unprecedented agreement for the Iranians, who historically have always been very, very skittish of entering into treaties with foreign countries, especially of allowing their, their airspace and their territory to be used by foreign military forces. The Russians were allowed in 2016 to stage one airstrike into Syria from Iran. They hopped, if you wish, from, uh, I believe it was near the Crimea, to the Hamadan Air Force Base, and then from there against uh, ISIS targets in Syria. But even that strike in 2016 was very controversial inside Iran. This pact really uh, has got Iranians up in arms as it leaks out. It was leaked by a, an opposition journalist and referred to by the former president, Ahmadinejad, in a speech recently in western Iran. So he was all up in arms about it, claiming that this pact with communist China for 25 years, where Iran grants them extraordinary discounts on guaranteed oil purchases, discounts of up to 35%. So that helps them to get around the strategic embargo by the United States and allows them access to their naval bases in the south and to their air force bases. So this is a big deal. It's got Iranians up in arms, including people that are hardliners, supporters of the regime, but who are worried about this infringement on Iran's sovereignty. Yes, and we'll stay on top of that story because, indeed, Israel may have a part to play in what's been going on. Ken, there's a top U.S. general located there in the Middle East who is questioning the reports on bounty killing. In other words, Russia paying Afghans, or the Taliban actually, to go after the American soldiers and kill them. Uh, can you update us on that situation? The two things going on here. The first is, is the use of the term bounty. This was a leak 
to the New York Times, where, of course, because the New York Times is anti-Trump all the time, they said the president was told about bounty payments by the Russians to Taliban people to kill Americans in Afghanistan, and they said and Trump did nothing about it. So that's one part of the story. There's the U.S. political piece of the story. The second piece of the story is whether it actually happened at all. <laughs> and and uh, that's being thrown in doubt by the head of our forces in the Middle East, the, the, head, the head of U.S. Central Command, Marine Corps General Ken McKenzie, who says, well, I don't know about any payments by the Russians to the Taliban. And these so-called intelligence reports, while they are worried about Russia's relationship to the Taliban, he hasn't seen reports relating to secret payments that resulted in U.S. deaths. So you've got two things. Did the Russians actually make these payments, number one? And then you've got the leaked, perhaps fake intelligence reports uh, to the New York Times to try to weaken the president. I love what the general said when you are reading Russian intel. Don't believe it because you've got to understand they're no friends of ours at all. Well, Turkey is back in the news. Tayyip Erdogan, he is deporting Christians. Now, I know that you are pretty much on top of the story with persecution of Christians throughout the entire Middle East. You've visited with many of these different organizations across the years. But talk to me now. He's not only deporting Christians, but I understand as of Friday, he has taken one of the iconic churches of all of the last 2,000 years of history and turned it from a church into a mosque, Hagia Sophia. Talk to me about that update. Well, extraordinary move by Erdogan. Arrogant, aggressive. Uh, He essentially has put an end to secular Turkey. They did turn it into a mosque during the um, uh, Ottoman Empire, and it was in 1934 uh, under the secular Turkish Republic that they um, turned it into a uh, museum instead of a mosque. So that's what Erdogan has done just this week. He has transformed it into a mosque. He's holding Muslim religious services inside this, this amazing, amazing, beautiful church in Istanbul that had long, for centuries, was a symbol for the Eastern Orthodox Church. I think, again, this shows his arrogance. It shows that Erdogan really doesn't care about world opinion, and he's going to do whatever it takes to become the head of the worldwide Islamic caliphate. And that's why you see him in Syria. That's why you see him challenging Israel at every opportunity. That's why you see him moving military forces into Libya. Erdogan is on the march, and the end of his march is an Islamic caliphate. That is an absolute truth. We know that from his own statements, by the way. Well, that was a wonderful church to visit when we would take tours to Turkey. It had such great historic significance. I'm just so sorry that has been now turned into a mosque, and I would doubt that Christians will be allowed to go into the church anymore. Ken, great to have you back home. Glad you got back safe. And, uh, dear friend, uh, we want you to take care. Don't get this coronavirus over here in America. But we'll be looking forward to another conversation with you next week. Thank you, my good friend. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios. I said Milwaukee, Wisconsin in the first segment. Actually, Brookfield, Wisconsin, a suburb of Milwaukee, is where we're broadcasting from. I'll be at the Brookside Baptist Church all day Sunday, a one-day prophecy conference. Ken Keltner is the pastor and inviting everybody in this area. We're heard on VCY America. We're heard on a number of other radio stations as well. Love to have you come study the prophetic word of God with us at Brookside Baptist Church all day Sunday, 9 and 10, 15 in the morning, 5 and 6 in the evening. Well, as I promised, we're going for a Middle East news update to David Dolan, longtime journalist there in that region of the world. And David, I understand that the police have petitioned the court there in Israel to close down the WAQF, W-A-Q-F, if you don't hear and understand that word. It's the Islamic Trust who has custodial responsibilities on the Temple Mount. And they've done this because Hamas members have come in and joined with them. And from there, they are orchestrating, Hamas is, what they're going to do as they attack uh, the Jewish settlements, try to shut down annexation. What can you tell us about this joint operation between the Waf and Hamas? Well, Jimmy, basically another sign that there is a developing partnership between the two main Palestinian factions that, of course, fell apart between them after Hamas violently seized control of the then-Palestinian Authority-controlled Gaza Strip in 2007. That's after, of course, the Hamas movement won 
the last and, uh, well, I think it was the only fair and free Palestinian elections in 2006. They won a majority of those votes, we've got to remember, so they have a lot of popular support amongst the Palestinian people, even though it's a radical group that wants to see Israel totally destroyed, and of course, that's always been the PLO's mantra as well, even though they modified it somewhat under the peace process. The peace process is now dead, and it looks like buried. Uh, Abbas, the head of the PA, has basically declared war again on Israel, has stopped all security cooperation, and is cooperating with Hamas instead. And, of course, up in the Palestinian-controlled sites, the religious sites, or anything that they uh, run, they can use as a venue for meeting and for plotting and planning and all of that. But, Jimmy, again, the annexation that they're supposed to be uh, protesting against seems more and more unlikely every day that that's going to happen, mainly because of the increasing coronavirus crisis in Israel, the prime minister dealing with that very much, unemployment very high, and in fact on Thursday he said, I opened the economy too soon, the only leader I've heard of that said that, and so I don't think there'll be anything for them to protest, that doesn't mean they won't punch terror attacks anyway, because, of course, that's Hamas, their basic uh, modus operandi. Let's talk a bit more about annexation. It seems like the what I'm reading is that about half of the public is interested in annexation, the other half opposed, and they're saying that Netanyahu has had a failure because he's not moving ahead. Is that the case, or is it some other reason, as you were mentioning, the coronavirus? I think it's mainly the coronavirus, and not just in Israel, where it's uh, surging, but in the United States, where in a lot of the country it's surging. And it seems like, from what I'm hearing, the administration has said, look, you know, when we were talking about this, it was some years ago when we formulated this, it was a different atmosphere and a different situation, and we don't want the blowback internationally that's going to come against us on top of everything else. That seems to be uh, the case. And Netanyahu, again, the emergency government was set up to deal with the virus primarily, not to annex land or whatever. So his main partner, Benny Gantz, is saying the same. And, in fact, Jimmy, tonight in Tel Aviv, a huge anti-annexation rally, an anti-government rally is being planned in Tel Aviv. In fact, it should be starting pretty soon. And that's going to bring together more people, hopefully socially distanced and all that. But it just shows that there is strong opposition to it in the country, and again with this crisis, just doesn't seem like the moment that Netanyahu could move forward. And at the same time, Hezbollah, located right there at the southern portion of Lebanon at Israel's northern border, saying they'll do whatever it takes, do anything to stop annexation. They mean business, don't they? They do, Jimmy, and again, they're very much backed by Iran. But yes, Hassan Nasrallah, their leader this week, in a fiery speech, said that if anything happens to change the status for the Palestinians, we will support them fully. We're ready to go to war for them, essentially, is what he was saying. Of course, Iran has been saying the same thing. And again, Jimmy, we had another explosion in Iran just a couple of days ago that is very suspicious at a military base. There seems to be a low-level war going on between somebody and Iran. It's probably Israel that's involved. And um, this could you know, blow up into a full scale, as we've talked about so many times, a war involving Hezbollah as well. 
And uh, that's another reason, of course, for the Israelis to pause, because a lot of their soldiers are getting sick. In fact, the chief of staff was quarantined because he was around somebody with the virus and that. So it just doesn't seem the time to stir that pot, and they certainly don't want a war right now with uh, Hezbollah. And at the same time, we're hearing that Mahmoud Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian Authority, the legislative body of the body politic of Israel, he says he's ready to resume talks with Israel. He's communicating this through Vladimir Putin, and he wants to come back to the negotiating table. You think that'll happen? Well, you know, strange things happen when you have a pandemic and you have all this stuff going on at once. Uh, the Palestinians have been hit hard by it uh, in the past couple of weeks. They're getting a lot of of illnesses as well. And so everybody's thinking, hey, do we really want to throw this whole thing apart? Do we want to just tear this open and have war and really kill a lot of people? Uh, that seems to be, it seems to be focusing uh, the leaders' minds more on these life and death possibilities. And yes, it could. It could just be an opening for a backwards revival of the peace process, as it were, a little bit more humility, maybe, on the part of the Palestinians and maybe on Israel's side, too, that, you know, we can't just do this on a one-sided way. And that's the main problem that people see in Israel with the peace plan, is that it, it really solves one problem, but while doing that, it opens up so many others. And uh, the French President Macron told Netanyahu this week that if they go ahead with this, the European Union may even uh, break ties. It's uh, that serious. So reasons to pause there. But whether peace will come out of it or not, I don't think so, really. But it could be an opportunity for a resumption of talks. One of the arguments for annexation of Judea and Samaria is security for the state of Israel. And this causes a conversation to arise about the Jewish communities out there, the Jewish settlements. I've always thought, and these people are saying, that the settlements are actually key to Israeli security. Would you agree with that, David? Oh, absolutely, Jimmy. I lived right on the old Green Line, the division between Jordanian-held territory uh, that they called the West Bank and Israel proper in Jerusalem, right on that line. If all those areas of East Jerusalem were not under Jewish control now, Israeli control, if they didn't have a few buffer uh, communities further out from Jerusalem, Malay Adumin to the east and many communities to the south and several to the north, it would be a much different security situation for Israel. So that's vital. And, of course, and the prime minister pointed this out to Macron, this is the Jewish heartland. This is the biblical heartland. This is where Joseph and Jacob and Rachel and on and on, that's where they're buried. That's where they live. This is our heartland. He said we have every right to be there, and the original British mandate gave them the right to be there. So they're in about 30% of it. They're going to retain control of that. But to make it formally part of Israel, it appears it's just going to set off too many fireworks at a time when they're dealing with other fires, major fires, and that seems to be the reason for the restraint. But I wouldn't say that it won't happen, Jimmy, still, but those communities will remain and they are vital to Israel for sure. We do know that Jordan plays a key role as custodian of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but they also claim they have responsibility for the Western Wall where the Jews go to pray. The Jordanians are demanding Israel stop working there on repairing the Western Wall. What do we know? 
Well, the Israelis only allowed Jordan to continue to have a role. Jordan has no authority there. They took the land in a war in 67, in, in 1948, and lost it in 67. They have no real authority or say there. It's just that Israel preferred them to the PLO. That's essentially what it was. Well, now there is a Palestinian authority. They want to run the show, and probably the time has come when they will be allowed to. But, of course, they're not anywhere near as moderate as the Jordanian government, and that's been the problem all along. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us with his update on a weekly basis. This is an absolute report that you need to hear every single week to stay on top of how current events are setting the stage for a Bible prophecy in that major region of the world, the Middle East. David, thank you so very much. Great report, my good friend. Looking forward to next week when we'll have another conversation. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got Mike Gendron standing by. The Pope has gone after annexation in Israel, warning them not to do it. But he has a relationship with Islam I think we need to know about. Mike Gendron will give us an update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our second half hour. I've asked you for three half-hour slots so that if we can take the 90 minutes, we can give you the world with our broadcast partners, helping us to understand current events and how they fit into the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. Have a lot in store for you. Sharam Hadian is going to join us. Remember, Louis Farrakhan spoke on July 4th, and he attacked not only America, but the Jewish people. You do not want to miss that conversation. That's the last part of this half hour. But right now, we're going to go to Mike Gendron. Mike and his precious wife have a ministry entitled Proclaiming the Gospel. Mike was at one time a Catholic converted to true Christianity, biblical Christianity, I guess I should say, and now he has a heart for winning probably the largest mission field in all the world, the Catholic people, the Catholic Church, to Jesus Christ, the true Savior of the world and not the church and all of its ideology. Well, when we have something that's going on at the Vatican or dealing with Pope Francis, Mike is my go-to man, and I'm going to him right now because this last week, 
Pope Francis in the Vatican made a statement warning Israel about annexation. And if you don't know what that is, that's the Israeli government taking sovereignty and making it a part of the official state of Israel, the area of Judea and Samaria. Many people will refer to it as the West Bank, the proper biblical name, Judea and Samaria. Now, Mike, I want to talk to you about the Pope, first of all, because he, according to what the world may consider, the number one Christian leader in the world, but he's becoming very political as of late. Do you agree with me that uh, the man is coming out of his responsibilities as a so-called religious leader and becoming very political? Yes, Jimmy, he has been very political since he took office, and a lot of people may not realize that Pope Francis and previous popes have all been not only head of a global religion, but they're also head of a nation. The Vatican City is a nation. That's why many ambassadors from all over the world come and visit the Pope, because he's also a political leader. And so for the longest time now, since he's been in office, he's been pushing not only for a global religion, but also for a global government. So he's got his hands very much involved in not only the affairs of Israel, but also the affairs of all the governments in the world. Now, Mike, I want to focus on the fact he is helping the Palestinian people, who are basically the Islamic people, go against the state of Israel. I'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, talk to me about the relationship that Pope Francis has with the Islamic world. Well, it's no secret to anyone that has studied Roman Catholicism that the Roman Catholic Church is very friendly with Muslims, even to the point of declaring that they are part of God's plan of salvation. And I'm referring to the official document of the Catholic Church, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 841, and I quote, The Church's relationship with the Muslims states that the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator in the first place, among whom are the Muslims. And so this pope and previous popes have all been very Muslim-friendly. And in the same tone, they've also been against Israel. Jimmy, you may remember that it wasn't until 50 years after Israel declared itself a sovereign nation in May of 1948, it took 50 years for the Vatican to acknowledge that it was now a sovereign nation. So they've had a history of being anti-Semitic. And I did a, a recent message comparing the religion of Islam with the religion of Roman Catholicism, showing that they have ten common bonds. So it should be no surprise, then, that Pope Francis is trying to get involved in this two-state nation over in Israel. You may remember that it was in December 2017 that he first called for a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinians. And so now he's trying to disrupt what Israel's trying to do to take sovereign control over the Golan Heights. I know that he has had several meetings, I'm talking about Pope Francis, with the president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, and he seems to be favoring the Palestinian people to some extent. And in fact, in his warning to Israel, he talked about that the Palestinian state of Palestine should sit down with the Jewish state of Israel. Now, the Jewish state of Israel is a reality. It's absolute. 
I have never known of a Palestinian state. So not only was his statement probably out of place, but it was seemingly a lie or trying to miscommunicate something that is not true. Does it not seem that way to you? Well, definitely. And of course, our ultimate authority is the Word of God, but the Pope dismisses the Word of God as his supreme authority. And if, if he would only look and see that there is a covenant that God made with the nation of Israel and gave the land to Israel, so there is no Palestinian state. The title deed for the land in Israel is the Bible, and the Pope ought to look into the Bible and see that. But again, we've seen throughout his pontificate that he ignores what the Word of God says in many areas of his papacy. You know, I like that phrase you just used. The title deed uh, for the land of Israel is in the Word of God. And, uh, of course, the Word of God says that that land belongs to the Jewish people. That is an absolute. That's where we have to come down with the Lord on his side in order to be correct. Uh, Just a moment or two about what is this that we're really hearing. Is this, and I've heard the term before, I've talked about it. You can give me a quick understanding of it, if you will, for our listeners. Is this replacement theology since the Catholic Church has been around for almost 2,000 years, supposedly, according to their history? Uh, They say they have replaced God's plan for the Jewish people. Is that what this is all about? Yes, in fact, that's actually... uh definitive authoritative statement by the Roman Catholic religion that they have indeed replaced Israel as God's chosen people. And so they don't see a future for Israel, and that's why they're trying to do all they can to eliminate sovereign nations so that they can have this global control and bring all religions under the power and the influence of the papacy. But unfortunately, we have many leading evangelicals that also don't see a future for Israel. And so we have to keep pointing back to the Word of God. God is faithful to Israel and to the Jews, and there will come a time when the Lord Jesus will rule and reign on the face of the earth for a thousand years. Many people would discount that in the evangelical camp. And so the Pope has a lot of friends among evangelicals that believe that Israel does not have a future and that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. And Mike's phrase, pointing back to the Word of God. I'd love that. That's what we're trying to do here on Prophecy Today, and that's exactly why I brought to my broadcast table Mike Gendron to discuss this particular issue. Very informative conversation with you, Mike. Thank you so very, very much. We'll have another one, I'm sure, down the line. Well, blessings to you, Jimmy. Keep looking up. Our redemption is nigh. Well, the Middle East is a key region of the world, but also when you think about the European Union, that is a major player in the end-time scenario as well. And we want to bring to this broadcast table now our broadcast partner who covers that area of the world for us, John Rood. John, great to have you along. Let's get right underway. It looks like Egypt and Jordan, they're in the Middle East, and then France and Germany have been on board with the warnings to Israel against annexation. We don't need to deal with Egypt and Jordan. I'll do that with our Middle East news broadcast partner. But let's go ahead and talk about France and Germany. Why do they think they need to weigh in on this subject? Well, the EU pretty much as a whole has already made statements 
through the European Parliament and Commission coming against the idea of the Israeli annexation. And it turns out that, as you mentioned, Egypt, Jordan, France, and Germany all sort of objected on the same day. So they've been mixed together. And the message is and continues to be that there will be consequences for the relations between the countries if Israel goes ahead with the annexation. They're basically saying they don't want to recognize any changes to the 1967 borders. And Prime Minister Netanyahu is hoping to conduct negotiations on the basis of President Trump's peace plan, but it's a major impasse at the moment. Again, we bring up France. They seem to be becoming major players as it relates to the European Union. They have a relationship or some type of an operation going on between them and Turkey. Tensions seem to be mounting after there was a NATO naval incident. What was that all about? Yes, that actually occurred on June 10th when there was a skirmish between the Turkish protected uh, shipping and French uh, naval forces. And uh, this has just completely continued and has escalated to a certain extent. France is calling Turkey on the carpet for working to protect a ship that was probably transporting arms illegally to Libya. And, of course... France and Turkey, both being NATO countries, uh, should be working on the same grounds. But Turkey has come off feeling that they're big enough that they can deal on their own, even facing NATO or Russia. And, of course, they've had tensions. They have one foot in the door with the European Union, one foot in the door with Russia. So uh, the actual the EU ambassador to Turkey said the main problem for Europe is Russia, And it's this ambivalence of Turkey with one foot in each camp, which is really troubling. Yes, let's uh, continue conversation about Turkey with one foot in the door with the European Union. They're playing footsie, of course, with Italy, who happens to agree that Libya needs a political solution. Turkey very much involved there in Libya. Italy now getting involved as well. Can you update us? Yes, Turkey and Italy should actually be on the same side in the Libyan conflict. Turkey uh, has come and said that they would like to look for a political solution since we know the country is divided and that there's a rebel general in the oil lands to the uh, west of Libya. And so we have this division there. Uh, Turkey is coming in on the side of, of the current government along with Italy, They're saying there's a need for a political solution. What they really mean, we would have to see. But then the commander in the West, he's backed by the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, and Russia. At the same time, Turkey, here we go, is is sort of playing both sides, and it has contributed to the arms and to the mercenaries uh, along with Russia and Libya. So, again, it appears to be really in connection with the energy Who will control the oil? There is a great deal of political controversy there, which appears to be having some attempt for a political solution. John, with Great Britain pulling out of the European Union, Brexit in other words, the European Union defense policy is getting somewhat closer to a possible military operation for the European Union, Germany pushing that. What do we know about that story? 
Well, Germany and France are, of course, the, the motor of the European Union, as is said. With England gone, we only have one nuclear power left in the European Union, which is France. So Germany has taken the position of defining EU policies. They're the central state of the EU. They've had a priority to unify the EU, to cooperate with NATO. And it appears that they want to continue to do that. And both France and Germany have proposals for an EU army. This has continued for a long, long time. Nothing seems to get done because of the military budgets. But the difference is, is that France's disagreement is that a European army could be incorporated even if it's at the expense of NATO. Uh, Germany is not willing to do that and lacks some action. So the big question here is, what is France going to do with their frustration? That's a very important question, and we're going to be watching this closely because in order for the revived Roman Empire to really come in place, the European Union does need some type of a military operation other than NATO. Well, John, with the coronavirus pandemic across the world causing economic problems, one final thought with you very quickly, if you will. The Eurozone, in their recession, seems to be much deeper than they first forecast. Yes, the forecasts have been revised by the European Commission itself. They're looking at a contraction of 8.7% this year, very, very serious. And the center of that is France, Italy, and Spain, uh, their forecasts are minus 10% in their economies. So this is a very strong hit. Things need to happen. Uh, the Brexit trade deal has to come through as well. That'll put extra pressure on the Eurozone. You know, what's so very interesting, along with the military operation in the European Union, the economic situation, as you look at Bible prophecy in the future, is going to be a major player as well. John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us, he does it excellently each and every week. It's a very important report that we have on a weekly basis. John, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. Thank you. Very important conversation updating the European Union from our broadcast partner there, John Rood. Well, right now we're going to a friend who has once in a while been a broadcast partner with us. He's going to do that for us right now. In fact, he's almost a neighbor. Of course, you know we normally headquarter in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And up the road in Knoxville, our good friend Sharam Hadian has moved from out on the West Coast, where all those crazies are, Sharam, I would imagine, uh, to Knoxville, Tennessee. He's in good country, a Tennessee boy now. Sharam, so glad to have you along. Appreciate it so much, and we just appreciate your ministry, Truth and Love Project. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, Dr. DeYoung, thank you for having me. It's always a blessing, and it's, it's great to be uh, neighbors. Uh, great to, yeah, like you said, great to be out of the tyrannical state of Washington State. Unfortunately, with our government, with the governor over there, and hopefully in Tennessee, fighting for uh, for some semblance of of liberty. <laughs> so, it's crazy days we're in. But thanks for having me. We have a great governor. Bill Lee is his name. He's a born again believer. And in fact, before he ran for governor, he did a lot of mission trips with his family. So he's a, a good brother. Pray for him 
if you will. The Bible exhorts all of us, in fact, to pray for those in high authority. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Sharam, I want to speak with you today about Farrakhan's speech on July the 4th. Now, he made this statement in his speech, and you can elaborate as you will. He said that the Jews hate him because he reveals their weaknesses. Not quite sure what he's talking about, but talk to me about Farrakhan in this July 4th speech and his hatred for the Jewish people. Well, for those who have followed Louis Farrakhan, who, of course, is, has led the nation of Islam since almost back to 1977, it should be no surprise that uh, he has made these repeated anti-Semitic statements regarding Israel, the Jewish people. He has praised Adolf Hitler repeatedly. He has called the Jews termites, has claimed that they are the synagogue of Satan that is spoken of in the book of Revelation. And the, the way that he's tried to, I think, justify his statements is by claiming that the Jews have corrupted the Torah. Uh, of course, we know that there are some Jews that are following the Talmud, but there are many Jews that are still Torah-observing Jews. And so this is consistent not only with Farrakhan and the nation of Islam, which is an offshoot, which is basically a sect or a cult within the Islamic faith or the Islamic ideology, the political ideology, but I think it goes deeper, because this is really ultimately, in my opinion, a rise of this Antichrist spirit in the last days, Dr. DeYoung, that one of the hallmarks of that statement is not only does that spirit hate Christ and deny who Jesus Christ is, but it also hates the Jewish people and the promises, the outstanding promises that God still has in covenant to the Jewish people that are still yet to be fulfilled until the coming of the Lord, until his return. And then what's what's really concerning is that the left, the Democrat Party, the media, they're trying to normalize. We, we know recently with the likes of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Taleb and these who've been elected to Congress, that this is becoming normalized. For, for many years, you know, Farrakhan would be ostracized, even by the Democrats, because of his very, very clear anti-Semitic comments. But now they're trying to normalize him and normalize this anti-Semitic sentiment. It's absolutely consistent with Islam and absolutely consistent with the agenda of the Muslim Brotherhood. And I can elaborate on that if you want. Well, talk to me about what you just said. I, I, I want to understand correctly that I understood you to say that Farrakhan was actually a part of real Islam, or was he a cult that he has established? What What is it? Well, he converted to Islam, and there's some controversy about who actually established the nation of Islam, but the fact is he's led it, as I said, since 1977, so we're talking, what, 43 years. But he converted to Islam, as unfortunately have you know many black Americans who've converted to Islam. We, we see today in America that... It, that the fastest-growing demographic that is converting to Islam, particularly within disinfected communities, are blacks in prison. So that part is not surprising, per se. But there are those who are in Islam, particularly those who are the Arab Muslims, who will look at the nation of Islam and say they're not true Muslims. But yet, when comments are made like this, and you have an ideology that is spoken of by Farrakhan that completely lines up with Islam, and the teachings of Islam and the teachings of the Prophet of Islam himself, 
well, then you can't argue that it is a sect or it is a cult within Islam. So I would argue that, yes, the Nation of Islam carries with it predominantly, right, it's for black Muslims, right? The whole point is that it's to lift up black Muslims, and within, again, the mindset of the Islamic world, the Arab Muslims view black Muslims as lower than. You know, one of the things I always tell people is there's a caste system in Islam. Nobody talks about it like they would in Hinduism or in other parts of the world, but in Islam there's also a caste system because the Arab Muslims are always seen as more authentic Muslims than the convert, particularly in the black communities, whether it was in Africa or here in the U.S. So Nation of Islam is only for blacks, and it is to convert blacks to Islam. But their political aspirations and their anti-Semitism is completely consistent with the Islamic agenda, both in its governmental aspiration, meaning that they want to implement Sharia law, and in its anti-Semitic aspirations, which is why he praises Hitler, which is why we know the Muslim Brotherhood worked with Adolf Hitler, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, as you well know, Dr. Young, and how involved he was with Hitler and with the Nazi effort, with the Hansiker divisions, and so forth and so on. Now, this we then have to go ahead and understand, and you just brought it to our attention just slightly, but to get more into it, if you will, that uh, this group of Islamic peoples, the black Islamic peoples of Varakans, uh, nation of Islam are working very closely with those here in America that would like to destroy the United States, are they not? Absolutely. The Nation of Islam works very closely with the Muslim Brotherhood. And the Muslim Brotherhood, we know by their own stated mission statement, going back to the document that was discovered by the FBI, a document that they had written in 1991 called the Explanatory Memorandum, very clearly states that their goal is to sabotage America from within destroy it, bring it down, and establish, quote, Allah's rule uh, and Allah's religion, which we know is Islam. Allah is not the God of the Bible. It is the God of Islam. It's a false God. So the nation of Islam, with their political aspirations, getting not only blacks elected, but black Muslims elected to office. And and please hear my heart. This is not in any way uh, any kind of racist statement. I'm just making the, the, the clear statement that their goal is the lifting up of black Muslims in America, and particularly within power. So if they are benign, which they claim to be, which Farrakhan claims that his statements are taken out of context and misunderstood, then then they wouldn't be working with a seditious group like the Muslim Brotherhood, who has sabotaged Egypt, who is working in Australia, in Canada, and now very effectively in the U.S. And of course, through all of this stuff that we're seeing with COVID and with the, the race riots and all these things... The Muslim Brotherhood, and let's not forget the words of Nihad Awad, who is the head of CARE, that is the Council on American-Islamic Relations, a front group for the Muslim Brotherhood. Let's not forget his words in late 2015, when he said at one of their conferences that Black Lives Matter is now their matter. Black Lives Matter is now their campaign. So who do we see marching with Black Lives Matter in the streets of America, burning the streets down, rioting, protesting, looting. We see black Muslims, and we see the Muslim Brotherhood. And we saw, we've seen this in Michigan. We've seen this in other parts of the country. So there is a unified goal. And ultimately, one, it's to destroy the Constitution, to destroy this nation and its, and its principles. Two, it's to destroy Christianity 
uh, and make Islam the superior religion. And three, it is ultimately a hatred of the Jewish people. And as I said at the very beginning, that's why you see the normalization, right? I mean, do you remember it was last year when Omar and Taleb were elected to Congress and they were making, you know, Ilhan Omar made anti-Semitic statements. The Democrat Party couldn't even bring themselves to denounce her and to pass a resolution against her for her anti-Semitic statements. So they passed the resolution against any kind of, quote-unquote, hate speech, but it was namely against minorities, Muslims and blacks. You know, so they didn't stand up against Christians or Jews. So this is what's concerning to me, is how this is being normalized. And then sadly, Dr. Dion, one other fact to be aware of is that you see this within now evangelicalism, where many of these social justice churches who are preaching a social gospel, who are siding with Black Lives Matter, who side with the, the Muslims, they're going to bring the same narrative. This is why I think you're seeing a, a rise of anti-Semitism within the evangelical churches. Exactly right. I agree exactly with what you've just said, Sharam. And let me just remind everybody, Sharam was born in Iran. He was born into the Muslim world. He converted to Christianity, he has been a pastor for a number of years, has his ministry, Truth and Love Project, trying to reach this Islamic world with the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ, but warn the church. You just heard the last couple of comments from Sharam. Warn the church about what is going on. Sharam, thank you so very much. Very important conversation we've had. Appreciate it. And I do believe that we'll have to have another conversation similar to this real soon. Yes, sir, Dr. Young, we certainly will. Thank you again. God bless you. And Lord, keep us all strong in these days. So God bless you guys. Thank you, sir. Very important conversation with Sharam Hadian. Well, we have one more broadcast partner. We'll take a break, come back, and David James is going to be talking about replacement theology. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. I ask you for three half-hour segments, that's 90 minutes of information, that my broadcast partners have been able to bring to the table to help us understand how current events around the world are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I'm glad you could do that. Give us those 90 minutes that we need to inform you so you can be understanding of how what is happening is really making us ready for that rapture. When Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, trump of God will sound, and we'll be caught up out of this world into the heavenlies to be with him forevermore. Well, it's great to have you along. I'm here in temporary studios just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a location called Brookfield, Wisconsin. We're going to be at the Brookside Baptist Church. Ken Keltner is the pastor, a dear brother, and he's inviting everybody to come to a one-day prophecy conference. It'll be at the church. We'll start at 9 on Sunday morning, 10.15, and then at 5 o'clock, a prophecy Q&A time, and at 6, I'll be teaching the Word of God, a prophetic passage that will assist us in understanding the times in which we are living. Love to have you come and join us 
at the Brookside Baptist Church All Day Sunday One Day Prophecy Conference. By the way, before you do everything else you're going to do today, would you go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there on the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find my poll question. Here's the poll question. This week, the Pope warned Israel against annexation of Judea and Samaria. Louis Farrakhan said that Israel should be destroyed, and David James here on the program revealed the satanic activity of replacement theology, which is a theology that believes that God has replaced the Jews as his chosen people. Could replacement theology be what is motivating the Pope, Farrakhan, and others to attack the Jews? Now, that's the poll question. Please answer it if you will. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. And remember my prophecy moment on youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. That's my YouTube channel. Watch it. It will inform you about what's happening in our world. We bring to these microphones right now David James of David James Reports. You can go to our homepage on our website, prophecytoday.com. On the right-hand column, you'll see the location for David James Reports. Double-click on that icon. You'll be able to go to a portion of our website that deals with much that I've had to say with David James. We started way back when I was interviewing David James about a brand-new book out entitled The Harbinger, uh, written by a rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, there in New Jersey. Well, that ended up in David writing a book about this particular book, The Harbinger, the Harbinger Factor Fiction. It's available on our website, by the way. But we've continued down through the last couple of years doing this not every week, but some weeks we would have an issue we want to deal with. And finally I said, hey, David, let's make this a regular part of our Prophecy Today weekend program because there's so many issues we need to talk about that the body of Christ needs to understand better. David, welcome back. Thank you so very much for joining us and for your work in doing all the research for David James Reports. Thanks, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. Let me uh, talk to you about something that you shared with me the other day. It's a real blessing for you. I'm excited about what the Lord's opening up for you. Another layer to your ministry and your outreach. You're going to start doing some writing for the magazine Israel My Glory, which is published by Friends of Israel. Now, that is probably the best Christian magazine that I've ever seen anywhere in the world. They have over 250,000 subscribers. It's an amazing magazine, a full-color magazine. You, if you're not on that subscription list, you need to go to foi.org, and they'll give you basically a year free. But you're going to start writing from them, I understand. And also I understand that your first article is going to be about anti-Semitism in different parts of the world. Yes, it's a tremendous opportunity, and I'm really excited because a part of dispensationalism and understanding the end times certainly involves having a heart for God's people, the Jews, and the fact that he has a plan yet future for national Israel. 
That is absolutely biblical. And in fact, that's exactly what the ministry of Friends of Israel and their magazine, Israel My Glory, is all about. Well, we're going to today focus on anti-Semitism. Now, we've reported here on this broadcast before about anti-Semitic events happening down the line. There may be people listening that don't quite understand that terminology, anti-Semitism, and how it's actually connected to the Jewish people. Take a moment and explain that connection, and where does the libel come from, anti-Semitism, anyway? Yeah, it's kind of a convoluted path of how we ended up with that terminology. As you remember, Noah, at the time of the flood, he had three sons, Shem, Japheth, and Ham. His son Shem had, as they all did, they had descendants, and they spread out over the earth. So one segment of the earth's population are descendants of Shem. And later through biblical history, one of those descendants turned out to be Abram, from whom God would raise up the Jewish nation through his sons Isaac and Jacob, and the 12 sons that uh, Jacob would have, Jacob later being named Israel. So over time, as Israel was beginning to be identified simply by Jews, which comes from one of Jacob's sons, Judah, that was applied, uh, Semites, as being descendants of Shem, ultimately, in a technical way, became identified specifically with them, even though there are many other Semitic people. So when you hear anti-Semite or, or anti-Semitic, it's really a slur or a, someone taking a position against the entire Jewish people. You know, many people, David, I'm sure, have heard of and are fairly familiar with the Holocaust of World War II when Hitler killed at least six million Jews. But I know that you lived in Hungary for 16 years working with Word of Life there, and I would imagine that you have a unique perspective concerning what happened in that country as you lived for those many years and studied its history. I've heard that the Hungarian Jews almost survived Hitler's sweeps of taking Jews to the death camps. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely true. As we were nearing the end of the war in 1944, as things were beginning to wind down, particularly in the West, the Soviet Army was moving in from the East, and as the Nazi Army was retreating, they began rounding up all of the Jews in Hungary, uh, moving from east to west ahead of the Soviet army and began shipping them off to Auschwitz. And the entire deportation in Hungary happened in a period of roughly, I think it's about six weeks in 1944. And in fact, all of the Hungarian Jews were shipped off to Auschwitz-Birkenau, which is outside Krakow, Poland. And the trains with the, the boxcars with the Hungarian Jews and gypsies and other undesirables were being shipped off. The volume that was moving up there was so, so much that they actually built a separate rail spur just to handle the trains coming in from Hungary as they just deported them as fast as they possibly could in those waning days. David, I want to talk about anti-Semitism not only in what we would refer to as Europe, and you're giving some examples there from Hungary, 
Uh, but indeed, it's spreading out to other parts of the world, but it's spreading into the church. Now, I'm going to get to the anti-Semitism in the church in a moment, but talk to me a bit more. It's a worldwide problem, is it not? I mean, South America, there's a, a rise in anti-Semitism. In the United States of America, a rise in anti-Semitism. It's all over the world. It's not just focused on those former states that were under the control of Hitler. Well, that's absolutely true. And, and as you look back through history, you know, I'm teaching this course, God's Plan Through the Ages. This is a recurring theme throughout history, that Satan's plan is to wipe out the Jewish people, whether you're talking about from the bondage in Egypt through the attacks uh, of the Canaanites from the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Romans, the Greeks, the, the Nazis, this is a, a recurring theme that Satan is trying to wipe out the Jewish people. And, and so it is a supernatural phenomenon that is seen worldwide. Wherever the Jews are dispersed, and we know according to God's Word, that as part of his judgment for their unfaithfulness, they will be dispersed, and they are literally hounded to the ends of the earth by Satan as he seeks to destroy them wherever they are. You know, with that thought in mind now, then let's go to what I've just suggested, the rise of anti-Semitism in the church. Uh, this is a form of anti-Semitism finding a dramatic resurgence in the very last place that you and I or anybody should expect to find it in the churches, and even among some growing number of churches that have been historically evangelical and supportive of the nation of Israel. This is very concerning, is it not? It definitely is. You know, we look back through history and back into the 1500s at the birth of the Reformation, and certainly there were important doctrinal things that came out of the, the Reformation, for example, salvation by faith, the priesthood of the believer, the authority of the Bible. But not every reformer was right in every area of theology, and one of the general perspectives in the at that period of time was that the Jews were the ones who put Christ to death, and so they were held liable for his death, and therefore responsible, and, and as such became despised. So even men like Martin Luther were virulently uh, anti-Semitic. And so this actually picked up and, and was a theme, even as uh, reformers of the, as they move forward. And then uh, combined with that, people were not taking the Word of God literally in the Old Testament and trying to spiritualize some of the promises made to Israel, with the thinking that, well, Israel has forfeited these promises because they're the ones who killed Christ. Well, now those promises can be applied to the Church, and that being the case, we see the Church is replacing Israel and God's program, and so the Jew and the Jewish nation uh, are really set aside and have no place in God's program, have no special position, and therefore we should not even consider, for example, today, that political, geopolitical Israel, she has no right to that land because those promises no longer apply. And so... This has tremendous impact uh, within the Church, and even how the Church views, uh, for example, the Christian, uh, the, uh, the Jewish-Palestinian conflict, and, and the role of the Jews in the Middle East and the peace process, uh, tremendous implications. Talk to me just briefly, because our time is almost up. 
Replacement theology, which is what you were describing just a moment ago, the church replacing God's promises to the Jewish people, is becoming very, very prevalent in the churches today. And they may not say actively that they're replacement theologians, but when they don't teach Bible prophecy, they don't teach God's plan for the Jewish people, in essence, practically, that's what they are. Right. Any church or denomination or Bible teacher who would deny that there is going to be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ, during which time God is going to fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel and give them that piece of land that he promised to them, and that's majority of Christendom don't believe that's going to happen, then whoever doesn't believe that, they don't believe that God's promises to Israel stand. And so they are replacing Israel with the Church, which is in and of itself an anti-Semitic view. You know, I think that we're going to have to continue this discussion and get more in-depth in these last thoughts that uh, we brought to the attention of our listeners. We'll do that in the future as well. And we'll have other issues that we'll look at with David James of David James Reports. This is key, I think, for the body of Christ to understand issues that are happening in our world that we need to know more about and understand the prophetic and the biblical aspects of these issues. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Always a pleasure. Great discussion with David James. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today. 
for us to take a look at the book. We've had our broadcast partners give us in-depth reports from all over the world. Reports on current events and how they seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. These broadcast partners cover the latest news from around the world, and this information is so key to our listeners in order for them to be able to understand the times in which we are living. If you had to miss any of these broadcast reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, it's on the right-hand column if you'll scroll down, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and all of our broadcast partners' reports are there archived waiting for you to listen to them. And may I suggest that you send all of this information, a link to these reports, to a friend or a family member who needs to understand how our world is quickly moving toward the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Now, if you will, let me give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman, back home from southern France, here in America, he gave me the information about the multiple attacks on Iran and Israel being suspected as the ones perpetrating these acts. Iran has said they will strike back for these attacks on what seems to be their nuclear facilities in their preparation to make a weapon, a nuclear weapon, of mass destruction. Remember Iran mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5 and Daniel chapter 11 verse 44 will be a key member of the alignment of nations that want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth as foretold in Psalm chapter 83 and verse 4. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. He is a longtime journalist in that region of the world. He knows what's going on and helps us to understand it with his Middle East news update. David talked about Hamas on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Hamas is the terrorist organization located in the Gaza Strip southwest of Jerusalem, but now Hamas on the Temple Mount and they are orchestrating their armed struggle against Jerusalem and the areas of Judea and Samaria. The world recognizes Hamas as a terrorist organization, and this armed struggle has resulted in many Jews being killed. Ultimately, they want to destroy the Jewish people, that's Ezekiel 35 verse 5, and set up their own state called Palestine. Now Hamas on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem in order to be able to orchestrate their plan to kill the Jewish people and steal their land, Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 5 and 10. Mike Gendron came to the broadcast table talking about the Pope's warning to Israel against annexation. Mike brought to our attention that the Pope, a world-famous religious leader, is becoming very political in these days. There is a world leader that will come along, not too distant into the future, who will also have a religious and political background. His name is Antichrist, and he will be headquartered in Rome, Italy, Revelation chapter 17. 
This world religion will not include Islam, which is what the Pope is endeavoring to do, and that is because that the Islamic peoples will be wiped out in the early stages of the tribulation period. Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 2. John Rood has the European Union update for his responsibility to keep us abreast of what's going on from the political perspective and seeing how that political activities will develop into the prophetic scenario from the Word of God. The European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, and there are a number of components needed to have that come about. And that would be a military force under the leadership of the European Union and then the revived Roman Empire. That's Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, and Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12. Sharam Hadian talked to us about the July 4th speech from Louis Farrakhan. You know, Farrakhan is an Islamic radical that hates the Jews. I believe he's an agent of Satan. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 4, and verse 3. And finally, David James gave us an explanation of the term replacement theology. If you did not hear what David and I had to talk about, I would suggest you go to my website, listen to that conversation I had with David. In fact, even if you did hear it, you may want to go back and make some notes so that you'll be able to understand what replacement theology is all about. You know, Jesus has not replaced the Jewish people with the church. He has a plan for the Jewish people, and he has a plan for the church. These two entities, the Jewish people and the church, will play the key roles that he has for them in the future. God promised a piece of real estate to the Jewish people. That's Genesis chapter 15 and Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he promised that he has a new covenant for them, Jeremiah 31, 31, and the Davidic covenant, which says that the Jewish people will be given the city of Jerusalem headquarters for the kingdom of Jesus Christ on the earth after his return after the tribulation period. And that is his plan, which will be played out. He cannot negate those promises to the Jewish people. But he also has a plan for the Christian. And that is, we will be married to Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, verses 7 to 9, and we will be the queen as the king, Jesus himself, serves in his kingdom forever. Every one of the reports that I had from my broadcast partners today has helped us to see uh, that the stage is being set for the next event, which is the rapture. We must be prepared for the rapture, and that comes about when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make sure that you are prepared for that rapture, because the fact is that rapture could happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.